the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. February 16, 2021. A few thoughts. First, Arthur Millick of the Claremont Institute writes, America is currently engaged in a regime-level struggle. It will preserve or destroy the purpose that has defined it. On one side stands the American way of life, characterized by Republican self-government and the habits of mind and character necessary to sustain it. On the other hand stands identity politics, which demands the perpetual punishment and humiliation of so-called oppressor groups combined with the unquestioned rule of the so-called marginalized. These two regimes are in conflict. They cannot coexist. The regime of identity politics has already conquered nearly all of America's major institutions and dominates the moral high ground. The universities and schools, Fortune 500 companies, much of the media and image-making industries, big tech and the administrative state are put to use waging war on the American way of life. Many of these institutions attack, ban, and slander everything for which America stands. Alleging that the rule of law is racist, that freedom of speech is white supremacist, that the family is misogynist and homophobic, and that anything short of open borders is xenophobic. The nation cannot survive this trajectory. But the conquest of these institutions does not prove that the arc of history bends left. Rather, it has occurred largely because of the weakness of the opposition. Mainstream conservatism today cannot reverse these potentially fatal trends and cannot conserve the American way of life when it lacks clear understanding of its own purpose. In its purposelessness over the last generation, it too often outsourced its thinking to economists while allowing the left to define its conscience and its culture. This mistake will prove disastrous if not corrected. With some notable exceptions, much of the conservative establishment came to view the pinnacle of human life as private consumption and personal license, defining national health by GDP growth alone. It did not understand that this perspective led not only to spiritual innervation, the weakening of patriotic sentiment, and the demotion of political liberty, but also to the creation of a new oligarchic elite openly hostile to the nation. The will to fight cannot exist without real purpose, which is why many establishment conservatives simply fear the left while also secretly craving its prestige and praying to its gods. Many have been shamed into becoming radically feminist, making them incapable of, adic- incapable of adequately defending the differences between men and women, let alone conjuring the manliness necessary to defend borders. Still others may soon support identity politics, no longer willing to defend either genuine standards of merit or equality under law, the central principle of our country. Intellectual and moral confusion on the right helped accelerate the left's fanaticism. Once the party of the working class, the left now stands for identity politics, which demands the perpetual punishment of and open hatred and discrimination against so-called oppressor groups while anointing so-called marginalized groups as pure, blameless, and deserving of unquestioned rule. 
This ideology requires the destruction of America's foundations, including freedom of speech and the equal rule of law. The left, using its institutional powers, forces Americans to make a choice, comply and submit to this ideology or become a hated, persecuted enemy, denied employment and civil rights, deemed worthy of harassment and even violent assault. These doctrines and tactics, unworthy of a great and just nation, cannot but produce hatred and conflict and will bring economic and scientific decline. They will either either lead to tyranny or they will provoke genuine resistance. In the struggle between these two regimes, institutional power and political momentum currently favor the left. The right at present doesn't seem up to the fight. A new right is needed, one that understands itself as rooted in the noble cause of the American Revolution, unabashed and zealous in its determination to restore political liberty and politics itself. A restored right must take two broad principles. First, its immediate energies must focus on disrupting and weakening the left's institutional centers of power. Only parity of power can moderate the left's fanaticism. A new right needs a tougher, more sober approach to the left's assets, the adversarial press and media, big tech oligopolies, and corrupt universities. This approach requires new legal strategies on issues that the professionalized right is often too scared to touch. Bold new actions in the states to liberate them from the left's consolidation of powers and large-scale activism. New strategies are needed for a new world. Second, and more important, the right needs to reclaim its mental and moral toughness. And that can come only from reviving its purpose, the preservation of the American way of life. The right must be morally unflinching in refuting the left's ideologies. It must speak clearly and confidently about the effects of radical feminism, anti-racism, and globalism. Anti-racism, I should say, should be put in quotes as a movement, not as an ethos. It must be prepared to protect its children, its property, and its standards from encroachments. And it must ground its efforts firmly in America's central principle, equal protection under the law without exception. This is the basis for forming a common good that the majority of Americans still desire. But achieving it will require that the right reinvent its political party. Unless it does so, there will be no future political victories and no country left to defend. Ultimately, this is much more than the cause of conservatism. It is the cause of America itself. One of the interesting things to me about all this is that the notion of equality, as found in our founding, used to be embraced by liberals. It no longer is, and perhaps conservatives, or too many of them, have perverted it or misinterpreted it over the years. But to the left, equality is out, which means the human condition and all that comes with it, including natural rights, are out as well. Equity, instead of equality, is in. And just as much as equity, so is the word justice, but mostly it's social justice. Rava Rohr gets to this in a recent column, writing, In the quest for justice... A brewing ideological radicalism and prevailing orthodoxy has swept Generation Z, basically your teens and 20-somethings. Capitalism and all its manifestations are now considered dangerous while advocating for socialism, the new requisite philosophy for entering the cool kids club. That's viewed positively by 61% of Generation Z. A third of young adults polled last year supported abolishing the police more than any other age group. Blinded by myopic visions of cultural revolution, some young people even justify violence, 
One poll showed 64% of college students agreed that last year's anti-police rioting and looting is justified to some degree. This rise of orthodoxy comes with a growing intolerance. Alternate perspectives that deviate from the mainstream aren't just discomforting to young people. They're treated as a mortal threat. Just over 50% of Generation Z college students believe shouting down speakers or trying to prevent them from talking is sometimes or always acceptable. Rav, who wrote that, is 20 and sees things a lot differently from most of his generation. He suggests five ways he'd much rather his generation view the world, and we'll get into them shortly. But his conclusions are important for right now, and they apply to everyone, not just Generation Z. Establishing your own footing and individual agency in these times has unfortunately become a costly endeavor, he writes. Any dissent is met with scorn and derision. As the great American philosopher Kanye West bluntly put it, telling the truth seems crazy in a world full of lies. But as long as you're not engaging in conspiracy theories or provoking just to get reactions, having a contrarian edge is usually a sign of critical thinking. Mindlessly following the social justice trend du jour may earn you social credit in the short term. But it comes at an ultimate cost, selling your soul to the mob or selling your country out to something that never was and never can be. Dennis Prager writes this, Given how flawed human nature is, America has been a remarkable moral achievement. This is the truism that separates the wise man from the fool. This is the truism that separates the left from the anti-left. Those who acknowledge how flawed human nature is compare America to reality. Those who do not compare America to some utopian image, a country free of inequity, free of inequality, free of prejudices, intolerance, sexual misbehavior, greed, etc. This divide helps explain why those who hold a biblical worldview, usually religious Jews and Christians, are more likely to appreciate America than those who don't. It is fundamental to Judaism and Christianity, after all, that the will of man's heart is evil from youth. Given human nature... America has been an extraordinary accomplishment. However, given the left's largely successful elimination of Judeo-Christian and middle-class values and the consequent unleashing of human nature, that accomplishment may not survive. This is why the fight for conservatism, as Millick puts it above, is really the fight for not just America too, but the entire West. We have to be up for it and up to it. For if we aren't, no one else will be. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Show portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day for health, energy, and boosted immunity. Tens of thousands of vital nutrients in one daily dose made of great, potent, natural, healthy stuff. Apples, cherries, papayas, blueberries, kale, wheatgrass, cayenne pepper. Balanceofnature.com is where you go to get your preferred order of their fruits and veggies, where they have a great deal of free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of those fruits and veggies. That's what I take. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE, or you can also give them a call at 800 Two four six eight seven fifty one. You'll be glad you did. 
I was talking about Rav Aurora's piece and message to um, about Generation Z, and he had five pieces of wisdom that he wanted to share with that generation, and I really liked them. I really liked them, and I don't think you're getting a lot of this at commencement addresses or um, any form of commencement address that young people might be hearing these days, be they high school students or college students. First is be skeptical of conventional wisdom. What's popular and culturally dominant isn't always right. Oftentimes, trendy ideas turn out to be the exact opposite of what they purport. Look at the windmills in Texas. That'd be an example. For example, he uses the popular trend of racial bias training tends to reinforce rather than reduce racial stereotypes. Black Lives Matter leaders advocate for solutions, namely reducing police presence that put more black lives and marginalized communities at risk. Never blindly just trust the experts or mindlessly do what is advertised as anti-racist or pro-LGBTQ. Skepticism is essential to temper the radical currents underlying the popular social movements of our time. So one, be skeptical of conventional wisdom. I like that. Two, identity is not destiny. The pervasion of identity politics has many young people making it their spiritual mission to either vigorously surrender their privilege, white, male, heterosexual, or engage in victimology poker. I'm more oppressed than you because I'm X, Y, and Z. This is toxic. Immutable attributes like your race, gender, and sexual orientation don't define human experience. They limit it. Clinging to your identity promotes a kind of solipsism that hinders your personal development and self-growth. Build your personality and invest your time around your cultural interests, your intellectual curiosities, and creative musings, all of which are fluid and forever open to change and refinement and evolution. Ideas are boundless, and so is your human potential. So two, identity is not destiny. Three, Stay open-minded. Standing up for what you believe in is important, but don't marry yourself to your current opinions. Your views are bound to evolve, stretch, and grow as you get older. In practice, this means don't isolate yourself in ideological echo chambers, left or right. Come out of your comfort zone and give the other side a fair hearing. Just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean they're your enemy. In fact, your perceived political differences are probably not as irreconcilable as you think. Most people are a mixed bag of ideas with various leanings one way or the other. Be open to changing your mind and shifting your perspective as you become exposed to new strands of interpreting the world. Or as Bill likes to say, have an open mind, just not so open your brains fall out. Four, this is probably the one I would think is most important. Watch your news diet. The key to being open-minded is watching your news diet. Striking a balance between intelligent voices on the left and right is essential to thoroughly grasp an issue. Ask yourself, are you only listening to Sean King talk about how racist our society is on Instagram Live? Are you solely watching Ben Ben Shapiro videos? If so, your image of the other side might be a caricature. Most liberals are not feeling-centered, anti-factual snowflakes, and most conservatives are not uncompassionate, callous bigots. Young people are much better suited listening to things like the Joe Rogan experience, which offers a diverse range of perspectives than they are just Fox News or just CNN. Also, 
Read independent writers such as Barry Weiss, Alex Berenson, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Tybee, who defy more boxes than they check and have little incentive to follow party lines. Can't say that enough. I, um, I, I probably need to – well, I guess I read all four of those pretty regularly. Barry Weiss, Alex Berenson, Glenn Greenwald, and Matt Taibbi. I throw in Glenn Lowry as well. You guys familiar with the works of Glenn Lowry, L-O-U-R-Y, professor at um, Brown University and uh, podcaster. You can find his stuff all over, Glenn Lowry. And it also gives you a little perspective from where he's writing from as an economist, as an African-American economist. Really smart guy. Five, spend less time on social media. More than half of Gen X gets their news from social media, particularly Instagram. That ought to worry you. That ought to worry you. When you see what's on Instagram and you think about more than half of Gen Z getting their news there, that really ought to worry you. The left-leaning algorithms of social media drive young people to an increasingly radical direction and distort their perception of reality. Spending all of our free time on Instagram posts, Netflix, binges, and Twitter wars is also a waste. Of precious time. Young people should be investing in themselves before spending a lifetime worrying about taxes, kids, and other adult responsibilities. Water your creative spirit and be wildly ambitious. Start sketching, make a YouTube channel, or try slam poetry. Don't be afraid of what others think. As Rav Aurora puts it, when I first started blogging about funny anecdotes from my life and the latest trends in hip-hop music in 11th grade, I was widely mocked and ridiculed by my peers, but I brushed it off and kept honing my craft, and now I have the privilege to share my opinions with you in the New York Post. Establishing your own footing and individual agency in these times is a costly endeavor, as he puts it. But so is all creativity. And you will find that the children who tend to be the most creative artistically, musically, verbally, otherwise, athletically, are the ones who watch less TV and are on less social media. What was it Leo Buscaglia said? You have two choices in life. You can watch other people doing interesting things and having fun and spend your time watching other people doing interesting things and having fun, or you yourself can go have an interesting life, and do fun things. I think that's totally right. But this new voyeuristic, this new voyeurism and um, social media fascination that has gripped the young has also gripped too many adults that I know. Far too many. You can watch others or you can do it yourself. And it's much more rewarding to do it yourself. And when you're getting your opinions from others through social media, then you know you probably need to check those opinions twice, three times, four times. The Internet and all its attributes, I think, is probably the first casualty of truth. And if you want to know the most specific evidence of that, try out this. Why would they ban things? Why would they ban things? If they're banning something, that means that's something they don't want you to see. Wouldn't that make you a little curious as to why they don't want you to see it? If you're not curious about that, if you're not curious about why someone doesn't want you to see something socially and politically, then you're an incurious person and I can't help you. 
But I think that this is one of the greatest scandals of our time, that the biggest social media platform bans a former president. Just think about that for a moment. Think about that. A former president has no social media presence, not by his own choosing. Think about that. We're going to um, we're going to have more of an accounting of what took place on January sixth. You would have thought that the impeachment trial would have settled and solved that, but. Nancy Pelosi now wants a commission to study it. Does that look like the cart before the horse a little bit? We now need a commission to study it. Wouldn't you engage in an impeachment of someone or indictment of someone after you've studied it? But the truth of the thing is that there's still a lot of unknowns. And I think we've been sold something false. As Candace Owens tweeted, it's been 42 days since pipe bombs were dropped just a few blocks away from the White House outside of the RNC and DNC offices. Our FBI has yet to produce any answers or leads regarding who is behind it, and our media has moved past this glaring oversight. Is that not interesting to you at all? We don't know anything. We don't know anything about those pipe bombs which by any other standard in any other news cycle would be the biggest story of the year? Pipe bombs at the DNC and RNC. Byron York writes about it today. He says on that 9-11 style commission, because that's what Nancy Pelosi is calling it, a 9-11 style commission, which Joe Biden supports, says the House is going to vote to create an independent commission to investigate the January 6th Capitol riot. There's no doubt there needs to be an extensive investigation of the events surrounding the riot. But what is striking is that even as Pelosi calls for an investigation, a number of government agencies are stonewalling the public on some of the most basic information about the events of January 6th. The public should not have to wait for an investigation to learn how many police officers were injured in the riot and the severity of their injuries. It should not have to wait to find out the cause of death of Officer Brian Sicknick. We know, we know that the first reports now were untrue. It should not have to wait to find out if authorities confiscated firearms from rioters, and if so, how many and what type. We know that there were no firearms that were used insurrection. It should not have to wait to learn the details of the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Does anyone remember the name Ashley Babbitt? Maybe perhaps not the most sympathetic of victims. Can't tell, don't know. I get that. But the last time a police officer shot an unarmed person, much less a woman, possibly from behind led to riots itself and not in one city. The public should not have to wait to learn what officials knew about the possibility of violence before the riot. If the riot was foreseeable, given the predisposition of the purpose of the riot, as the Democrat impeachment managers said, then why were the police not prepared for it? 
What did the Capitol Police know? What did the House and Senate sergeants at arms know? What did Speaker Pelosi and Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy know? Senate Leader Schumer and McConnell? The White House? National Guard officials? What did they know? Americans could and should know more about these topics right now, but significant parts of the Capitol riot are shrouded in official secrecy, and the existence of multiple investigations will only make things the worse, giving officials an excuse not to speak publicly because there is an active investigation going on. So before the big commission is formed and begins its work, how about Americans learn some of the basic facts about the riot now? Now, a number of top House Republicans, Byron reports, a number of them, including Jim Jordan and Devin Nunes, have sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi asking for answers to some key questions about security prep in the days before January 6th. Yeah, the questions may have a partisan edge, not too unusual for Washington, D.C., but they cover things Americans need to know. And I'll run those by you when we get back on the other side of this break. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. John Dombrowski, head of Grand Canyon Planning, Grand Canyon Planning Associates, GrandCanyonPlanning.com, his website. A little, um, we we got it. We we started a day late uh, because of uh, President's Day, Washington's birthday, John. So we're starting a segment late with you too, keeping the theme going. I apologize for that, but uh, it's <laughs> no delightful no to have you. I hope you had a good three day weekend. I well, actually, I worked yesterday, but I did have a good weekend. Yes, thank you so much. I hope you this, did the same. Oh, it was fantastic, fantastic. Excellent. We saw wild horses. We went oh, to Cave gosh. Creek. All kinds of neat stuff. Winter layoffs show early signs of easing. I like good news like that. Talk to me. Yeah, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal um, talking a little bit about uh, some of the statistics that came out here recently. Uh, We saw a decrease in unemployment benefits. You know, we're still concerned about the unemployment issue, obviously. There's still a high unemployment rate, but we did see a decrease uh, to 793,000 last week, which was well below the early January peak. We were worried about a million, weren't we? Which we were getting close to a million. We we exceeded 900,000, correct. So we're starting to see uh, job openings pick up, and we're starting to see hiring again, which is good. Uh, We are seeing, of course, vaccinations are moving forward, which is great. I know many people that I'm talking to age 65 and older who have uh, been able to get the vaccine. You know, those out there who have been getting it, uh, this is this is a good thing. Uh, this way we can, again, get that economy opened up sooner than later. That's that's the goal here. And I know that there's a lot of pent-up demand. There's a lot of money in people's bank accounts, Seth, uh, which is good. And this is going to be a positive moving forward, I believe, for the economy. The states, uh, particularly the blue ones like California and New York, they're slowly opening up, too, I see. And that's probably helping. I do worry about flooding uh, immigration uh, at the same time we're trying to get Americans back to work. So I don't think you can have X and not X at the same time on that front. But um, if we can uh, if if we can, yes, as you say, get the get the vaccinations apace. Uh, and um, and see more openings. See, the tale of these states is interesting. You look at a state like Florida, which which 
you know, opened a long time ago. Its numbers are not worse. In fact, they're better yeah, in Governor states Sanders like New York and California. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think the my honest opinion, John, you can feel free to disagree. My honest opinion that the, the slow reopenings in those blue states, it's mostly for want of admission that they shouldn't have closed in the first place. That's what I think. I, I mean, it just it doesn't look like it would have made a difference except for the economy, which I think, I think they right. just tanked themselves. So I think no, it's a, I, yeah. that honestly, honestly, they were just resistant, I think. And and it was obviously all because of, of they were trying to make uh, President Donald Trump look bad. I, I think I think time. that's right. And that was it. Yeah, they, they I think could that's do right. everything possible to try to, you know, stall things and make it worse for yeah. for the president, not thinking about the overall exactly right. population of the United States yeah, and the people who were there. Affected. Exactly right. As Lenin said, the worse the better, meaning yeah. to foment a revolution. Now, talk to me about something. I don't know if you've been watching. I, I was, this was kind of interesting to me, especially coming out of Texas. You saw these windmills, uh, these wind farms froze up. Right. And, and 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 so there's a question about energy stocks kind of being interesting again uh a little bit there's some talk about energy stocks maybe maybe clean uh clean and solar isn't and wind isn't everyone's uh is isn't everyone's uh how shall we say full full solution just yet right uh well Seth you know obviously we are a country that uh, needs energy. Right. We demand energy because we're a, a country that wants to do things. And yeah. we, we are out and about. We're, we like to drive our cars. We like to... Americans like their cars, don't they? We love, we love right. our cars. Right. And unfortunately, right now, you can't just say by, you know, 2022, all cars have to, you know, be electric. Yeah. You know, they've been, they've been wean, trying to wean us away from uh, gasoline and from, uh, you know, petroleum, but... That is that is going to be a while before that happens, and there could be a lot of companies out there who are going to profess that by X number of years from now they're going to be, you know, carbon neutral, and yeah. that's great and all of that. But overall, Seth, uh, oil is still going to be needed. Yep. Uh, you know what's the interesting thing is, and I know you've talked about this before, and so have we together. Um, we haven't heard anything about the Middle East for the past few years, right? And we would always be here. And there's about a reason the for that. And there's a reason because we became energy That's independent. Right. That's right. And if now we're it going proved to a change. point, yeah, proved a yeah. Po- for point. An old <laughs> friend of mine said, he said, if Saudi Arabia's main export were artichokes, most people would have never heard of the country. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly right. So it and, turns out, as you yeah. said, we've become ener- we became energy independent about three right. years ago, mm-hmm. and. Um, <laughs> Now we, we did, we're starting to see it's the reversible. Price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that Obviously, is reversible. Yes, we're starting to see yeah. the price of oil rise. Right. We're starting right. to see the price at the pumps rise. Right. I mean, you're probably twenty twenty five percent higher yep. uh, since you know taking over of the new administration, and this is going in, in direct um, has a direct reflection upon the administration's policies and what they're doing. Uh, this unfortunately is something that we're going to have to go through, and maybe it v- may be very possible that there could be some type of a change in the administration's, uh, you know, policy as they start to see some major, <laughs> you know, things happen with the economy. But um, yeah, so we have to look at where can we be investing our money right now to where we could take advantage of what the current administration is pushing, the agenda they're pushing, and you know, clean energy. Seth, yes, that's an area that we certainly want to look at, and we've been. Um, 
investing in clean energy. Now uh, we've changed our portfolios a bit recently to accommodate what's happening out there. So we want to take advantage of it. That's all. Good. Good job. From an investment standpoint. Yeah, 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 we may, yeah, yeah. We may disagree with it, you know, on our in our own personal. Well, it's just not uh, the full-time solution yet, we all yes, know. But neither course. is neither is any of the other stuff that we're looking at either, like uh, crypto and stuff like that that people are Right, and you saw Bitcoin, right. you know, hitting right. above 50,000. And, right. and again, people are thinking, oftentimes people get involved in these uh, areas of investment after um, there's been a lot of momentum that has occurred. So I just caution people that to be careful about it. Am I saying it's the worst thing in the world, Bitcoin? No, I'm not saying that. Should you not have it? I'm not even saying that. Everyone is different. But I just want people to be cautious and careful and understand what they're investing in. Work with an advisor who can give you good information so you can make an educated decision and understand the risks of any investment that you're doing. To me, that's you. Yeah, well, thank you very much. You and folks are all, absolutely can reach out to me at any time. They can go to our website of Grand canyonplanning.com. Don't call 911. However, Seth, yeah. in 1968, on this day, it was the first 911 call that was placed in the United States. Is that a fact? Yeah, that's an interesting little tidbit. 68. In 1968. We would have thought it would have been maybe, you know, 78. Longer than that. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought. Uh, oh, you or, thought or, or, earlier? You thought no, I meant, I meant, I'm sorry, you're right. I meant later than that, right. 78, it would have been my guess. 78, yeah. I wouldn't have even thought about it yeah. until I, I read this. So, interesting. Huh. Before yeah. there were push-button telephones. Before there were push-button. That's right. Bill, right, is scratching his, Bill is scratching his head. He doesn't, he doesn't know <laughs> he doesn't what, what other that. kind of telephone that was yeah. there. What other kind of phone could there have been? <laughs> okay. See, thank God we still have landlines yeah. and not just cell phones yeah. so that we can communicate right. when we have a... Have an issue. God bless you, John. Thank you. God bless you. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FinRen Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Now go dance with somebody who loves you, John. Okay. (laughs) Bye bye. Have you ever seen wild horses, Bill? It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Went and saw some over the weekend. Um, there was some other news over the weekend, by the way, and the fact that no one's talking about it much today is itself telling. But in case you missed it, all last week there was this trial in the Senate of President Donald John Trump for impeachment. Boy, did we move quickly from that. He was acquitted over the weekend. He's acquitted. Short about seven votes, right, to get a conviction. He was acquitted, and um, twice the House has uh, fired impeachment salvos at him, and twice they have failed to convict him. And now it's not in the news anymore. And that's all that dominated the news last week. We jumped from lily pad to lily pad in this country. Mitch McConnell gave what I gather to be a uh, polit- political ending speech about Donald Trump, blaming him for the riot, not making it an impeachable offense, but blaming him nonetheless. 
And I don't know why he felt compelled to do that, including writing an op-ed about it in the Wall Street Journal that posted yesterday. I don't know what the percentage was in that. Is it to pacify lobbyists? Is it to pacify donors? I just don't understand. And then he tries to thread, thread this needle by saying you can hold them accountable in other ways other than impeachment convictions. I simply don't understand Mitch McConnell's doing this. Not just because Donald Trump wasn't responsible for the riot, but because I don't think most Republicans thought he was responsible for the riot. In other words, Mitch McConnell is not just selling Donald Trump down the river. But all of us, unless you, th- unless I'm wrong and I'm misreading it, but the latest polls I've seen show most Republicans don't think he was. Do most Democrats think Bernie Sanders was responsible for the shooting of Steve Scalise? No. Do I? No. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.